Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Adam Miller and joining me today is Gaby. It's no 1989 obviously, but as far as Taylor's albums go, it's certainly an improvement on reputation. Mackay. <laughs> I like it, I like it. I did my homework. On today's pod, we'll be covering every game from the weekend in the Scottish Premiership, asking if everything's alright with Paul Heckingbottom, and finally, conclusively establishing whether Gaby and I are fans of cricket. So, Gaby, a packed weekend of Premiership action, by which I mean the exact same amount of games were played as are played most weekends. It's always packed, though. We'll start off at Rugby Park, where Kilmarnock drew 0-0 with Aberdeen. Kelly are sitting bottom of the table after this weekend's result, but given how early this is in the season and in Angelo Alessio's time as boss, can a draw against Aberdeen actually be considered a decent point? I'd say so. I think Kelly haven't beaten Aberdeen at home since 2011, I think was the last time. Uh, I don't think they've taken a point since 2013, um, unless you, well, if it, it, it's not a point, obviously there was a Scottish Cup game, which technically was a draw, which Aberdeen won on penalties, but as I think I said on Friday, Kelly have a dreadful record against Aberdeen, particularly at home, so I think to, to take a point from, from the game is, is a decent result. Uh, it's not obviously the best result, still leaves Kelly bottom of the league, or joint bottom, I'm not sure what the goal difference is with Hearts, but it's obviously not the best, but... It, and as predicted on Friday, it didn't look like it was the most thrilling of games, although I think Kelly actually could have won it. They'd, um, but Chris Buck had a great chance. He got played through by by Gary Dicker, the Irish backstop, as as we call him. <laughs> uh, he went around the goalkeeper, but he couldn't couldn't convert it. Um, yeah, it seemed, seemed like a, a fairly even game with uh, Kelly maybe playing a bit better in the second half, Aberdeen maybe having the better of the first. But yeah, I think for a start to the season, the the Hamilton one, I guess, is really the only disappointing result, I'd say, for for Alessio. That you've got Rangers at home, the first game, okay, Kelly have got a good record against Rangers at Rugby Park, but, you know, losing 2-1 to, at home to Rangers, it's not exactly a disgrace of a result, especially given that both Rangers' goals came from set pieces, it's not like they were ripped apart in open play, then a bad result against Hamilton in the league. And then a 0-0 draw with Aberdeen. I think any Kelly fan would have taken that before the game, especially given given the record that they have against Aberdeen. Okay, and after three defeats in a row and then needing extra time to beat Dundee, does a point at Rugby Park look like Aberdeen potentially kick-starting their season? I mean, it's hard to tell because I think they were, they were certainly second half that they were poor. Um, Craig Bryson came into the team for what I think was his first start. Aberdeen fans might be correct me on that didn't have too much of an influence particularly as the game wore on now that's obviously probably because he hasn't played much he's not he's not fit but it's been a it's been a sort of stop start uh, beginning to the season for Aberdeen especially after getting getting knocked out of Europe they've as as you said they sort of scraped past Dundee they lost to St Mirren it's not really been a great start but then I think for all the teams that are competing for thirds it's not really been a great start you think Rangers and Celtic have both got nine from nine I think we can confidently say that they'll be first and second whatever order that will be in but then you look at Aberdeen have had, what, they've taken four points from their opening games. I think Hibs are the same. Hearts have got one point. Kelly have got one point. And those are kind of the teams that you'd imagine would be sort of fighting for that third third spot. And yeah. none of them have, have really done it. So um, I'm not sure if it'll be a turning point for Aberdeen. But I think for any of those teams, uh, they it's not really a disaster at this stage because nobody's really sort of got any early season momentum going yet. No. So St Johnston came from behind twice to secure a dramatic 2-all draw at Easter Road, with Jason Kerr scoring the equaliser four minutes into injury time. You could see from the celebrations what it meant to Tommy Wright. Was a draw a fair result, though? Well, 
I'll, what I will say about this is I was speaking to a Hibs fan at the game. Um, well, no, I wasn't at the game. While, while the game was going on, so I was with a, a Hibs fan and an Aberdeen fan, actually. So we were all furiously checking the scores when we should have been uh, more engaged in the social function that we were supposed to be attending. But we were, of course, all just looking at our phones. And when it was announced that there was going to be, whatever it was, six minutes of added time, this Hibs fan said to me, I guarantee we will concede. Really? And th- Yep. And lo and behold, you know, I, I checked my phone. There's a Kelly game finish. I'm like, oh, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Hibs have conceded a goal. So looking at, I only saw the highlights of the game, but looking at the highlights of the game, I think a draw looked like just about being a fair result. It was terrible defending for the goal. Um, and I thought Paul Heckingbottom, I think I've said before on this podcast, I think I said before the season he had, he was a bit chippy at times last season. I think he's a bit of a, he's a, bit of a strange cat, I think. Um, yeah, you picked up on a specific comment, didn't you? Yes, I did, which I'm just going to get to. So he basically, after the game, s- sort of blamed the fans. Not well, Blamed the fans is a bit harsh, but he said, we were trying to get the boys to relax, but the whole stadium was anxious and that spread to the players. I think they need to encourage more. That's it, 100%. I don't want them to draw back because you want to feel the whole stadium alive. I did as a player and I still like that now. But you could see they were trying to, that we were trying to calm them and tell them to stay calm and relax, but anxiety was an issue. If the fans can just calm down and if something does, good does happen, then get behind them. Now, for a manager to be having a goal at the fans three games into the season is bizarre. Now, I think part of that is that um, they booed when he subbed off Scott Allen, who as, obviously is a, sort of, a big hero for Hibs fans. Everybody loves to watch those those through balls he plays. I don't and, know if you saw his pass against Rangers. It was quite good. <laughs> no, it's, it's gone slightly under the radar, that one. Um and then Heckenbottom said after the game, oh, I didn't know there was a law about subbing him off, which again is a really weird thing to say. It's a bit petulant, isn't it? Yeah, it's very petulant. And he said, well, look, I see him in training and he's not been right in training all game. You know, uh, he was carrying a slight knock, but that's not why I took him off. And it's like, well, it's just, it just seems a strange, a strange comment. And looking at some things Hibs fans have been saying, they've not been happy with the style of play. I mean, they spent about 350000 on that Dodge, that striker mm-hmm. who just doesn't really look like scoring goals. It's not a real name, Dodge, though, is it? It's, <laughs> well, if Heckingbottom's a real name, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just going back to the point that your friend made about, uh, you know, if it's going into injury time, if six minutes of injury time, then we're conceding a goal. Um, I was going to ask, like, what, what does the fact that they twice surrendered the advantage in that game and that the Hibs fan that you know felt that was so predictable, what does that tell you about Hibs and the mentality of that team? Yeah, well, I think it tells you that they're certainly um, weak, at, weak at the back, or if you believe Heckenbottom, I mean, if he's saying that the fans getting nervous make his players nervous, what does that say about the mentality yeah. of the team, you know? Uh, I think we've said on here before, I think the balance of that midfield, I'm not sure you can have both Malin and Scott Allen in, in a midfield, you know, they're two sort of more creative players who aren't necessarily going to give you that much in the tackle. The players he signed, he signed, and I haven't seen a great deal of Hibs. I saw them in the the defeat to Rangers, but I, I don't claim to speak from a position of expertise. But the, you know they've signed a lot of players from the lower leagues in England, which we've seen can work in the past. But it also sometimes doesn't go well. And I have to say, for for Hibs fans, the vibes I'm getting from them is uh, is Lee Clark vibes. Which if anyone mm. knows, that's the the, the not good Clark who managed. Come on, you know, he was a guy that came in and he talked a good game and sort of, I'll give you a team to be proud of and signed about five players every week. He'd turn up and not know who was playing. 
and basically I think was viewed as being largely a sort of a, a charlatan uh, when he left, uh, I think exactly a year after taking over. <laughs> um, but the reason, well, one of the reasons that reminds me of that is he was to say he'd been at Birmingham City, he'd been at some big clubs and the fans when he went all said, oh God, good luck with that. And I remember when Heckingbottom went to Hibs, you had all these Leeds fans going, oh, good God, aye, well, bad luck, Hibs. Mm. Uh, maybe you'll turn it around. I mean, Tam McManus, who writes for the site um, and famously compared me to Lewis Capaldi <laughs> once, uh, he's written a column today saying that he needs to be given time, which, you know, I absolutely think he does. I don't think that he should be getting sacked after three league games. But I think as we predicted before the start of the season, I think he's a bit of a, a, bit of a strange cat. And I think there's cracks beginning to appear already. Yeah, I think at this stage in the season, I think uh, any manager deserves a little bit more time to turn things around. But I think you do have to worry about some of those comments because that doesn't suggest a man who, if hips go on a really bad run, will respond to it in a kind of calm and rational manner, I don't think. Yeah, essentially, I mean, you know, as, as, as I said, when, when you're digging out your own fans at this stage of the season, I mean, that's never, that's never really a good look. And if you kind of could be hard to win the fans back when you lose them, as we know. So they obviously need to start putting together a run of results. But as you say, if things don't don't improve, he doesn't really seem like the kind of guy who is going to just brush that off. No. So Livingston won 4-1 away from home at Ross County. An excellent result and one that will be chiefly remembered for the contributions of Livy's Twitter admin. When Jack Stobbs scored number four, they tweeted in all caps... Jack Stobbs just thunder-twatted a rocket straight into the top pokey. Get that picked right out. They eventually composed themselves enough to elaborate on the goal, saying, Jacobs with a terrific header to play Lawless down the right, he switches the ball from left to right, and Stobbs runs on the ball and volleys the granny out of it right into the top corner. Gaby, you've seen the goal. Did Stobbs indeed thunder-twat the granny out of it? I think he very much did. All, I, all I've written down in my notes is, Stobbs, Belter, hashtag ping, which um, mainly because I was running out of space on the page, but I felt that that summed up uh, the goal nicely. It was, it was a great win for Livingston. I mean, I'll, I'll hold my hands up here. Before the season, I thought they would struggle. I thought they'd lost guys like Halkett. They'd lost um, they'd lost Liam Kelly, the goalkeeper. They'd lost uh, someone else who played for them who was good, whose name escapes me at the moment. I'm sure Livingston fans will remind me. And, you know, much as uh, I like Gary Holt, I've, I've met him. He's a nice guy. He's, he's a Kilmarnock fan. He played, won the cup with Kilmarnock. You know, I have a lot of affection for Gary Holt, but I thought they'd struggle and have to hold, hold my hands up. It's only three games in, but, you know, that's a, that's a great result going away to Ross County and getting a, getting a 4-1 win. You know, Ross County, who we saw go to Tynecastle last time out and play really well and yep. were unlucky not to win the game. Um, and to, to score four goals up there is really impressive. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they, they look like they're pushing towards top six now. The caveat we saw last season, they started very well and then really tailed off in the second half of the season. We'll see if uh, we'll see if that happens again. But as things stand, I think uh, all the the pundits are going to be eating humble pie, including myself, for predicting a ignominious slide down the table. Well, it's an interesting one for Ross County as well because they're currently sitting fourth. And as we said earlier on, it's too early to read too much into how the, the league table looks after three games. But you know they did have that really good result against Hearts, and then they've gone been beaten 4-1 at home and not by one of the bigger teams in the in the Premiership as well. On the evidence of the, the game at the weekend, do you see them having a difficult season, Ross County? 
I think that it'll be one where they'll be struggling around the bottom, but I don't think they'll get relegated just because I think, as I've said before, they've got Billy Mackay up front, no relation, who I think is just someone who's always capable of scoring goals. We've seen him score goals in this league before. We've seen him score goals in the championship consistently. And I think that's a massive thing for any team. If you've got a guy who can stick the ball in the back of the net, which he can, that should be enough to keep you out of trouble. I mean, I look at a team like I look at a team like Hamilton. Do they have a guy who's going to get you 15, 20 goals a season? Maybe they do. It's early days, but I'm not sure. I think much the same about St Mirren. Whereas I look at Ross County and I think nah, they've got a guy who at least will get them goals. Yeah. Okay, so Motherwell won 3-1 away from home against Hamilton Ackes, who were reduced to 10 men with only 20 minutes gone when Jamie Hamilton was sent off. Uh, could Hamilton have any complaints about Hamilton's red card? <laughs> we are very much on the same wavelength because my notes say <laughs> Hamilton sent off for Hamilton. So it just proves that and football, the Football Scotland desk were very much attuned to the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. I think that he possibly could have done. Now, I've only seen uh, the highlights. I've only seen the replay from one angle, but it looked to me like he tried to head it and it sort of hit his shoulder and rolled down his arm. Now, you've got this stupid new handball rule, but as I understand it, I don't think that would still be a penalty because I, the ball hasn't directly hit his arm. It's come off his head and he didn't mean it. Um, but who who knows what's a handball these days. Uh, aside from that, though, I think Motherwell dominated the game. I think Hamilton had one shot on target all game, which was the penalty that they got, which went in, which was a much clearer penalty. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was for Motherwell, but he just bizarrely sort of threw his hands over his head, gave away a penalty. thing I thought about Hamilton, though, is, you know, we, we saw them last season. Brian Rice came in and people said, well, people are sick of Martin Canning. He plays too defensive. It's too negative. Okay, we stay up every time. But, you know, it's boring to watch. And Brian Rice came in last season and he sort of tried to play a bit more of an expansive game. And they, they won some games and they stayed up, but they were also on the end of some absolute batterings. Yeah. Whereas this season, they just seem to have gone back to the way they were playing under Canning. So the game they won against Kilmarnock the other week, they were very defensive, uh, very hard to beat. They won 2-0, uh, which, which is great, great for them. Um, yesterday... Okay, they lost, they were down to 10 men, so that's a slight caveat, but they say they had one shot on target, I think they had 33% possession. So I guess the what what I'm asking is, what what's what are they doing here? Are they, you know, content just to be that, that, you know, we'll finish 11th every year or 10th and stay up? Yeah. Because otherwise, or, or is Brian Rice meant to be bringing in this more entertaining, attacking style of play? Because so far this season, I haven't seen that. Is there an argument then that, uh, you know, obviously every Hamilton Ackes fan will be wanting their team to stay up every season, but is there an argument that, you know, rather than finishing comfortable, in a, you know, comfortably, but just playing really boring football every week, is there an argument that some might even accept them being dragged into a relegation battle if they were actually being a bit more expansive in their play and just accepting that some weeks we're going to take an absolute doing, but, you know, we're actually going to be going for it? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how uh, how the long-suffering Aki's fans feel about having watched the Martin Canning football for many years, if, they, if they'd prefer that. I mean, I'm someone, you know, I'm... Johnny and I often disagree with this. I think that you do whatever you can to get the result. If, mm-hmm. You know, ideally you want to win while playing well, but if yeah. you can't, then win by playing ugly uh, is very much my view. So I, I, I wouldn't knock Hamilton for that. I just think it's yeah. interesting that that was the the narrative last season was that Rice was moving away from from that. And I say we saw them get battered off Rangers. We saw them get battered off Kelly. I think they got bad beaten off Celtic as well. And 
they've now seemed to have sort of reverted more to a more pragmatic style. And maybe that's because Brian Rice has looked at the squad he has and went, actually, we can't play this way without getting battered. But I just I just think it's interesting, something to, to keep an eye on. Absolutely. It's probably hard to read too much into a game where you've had an extra man for 70 minutes. But uh, where do you think Motherwell are headed this season? Well, I mean, I boldly think uh, think this might come back to haunt me. I boldly predicted them to finish fourth before the start of the <laughs> season. And the uh, beginning to the campaign hasn't exactly backed that up. But I think that I think there'll be a team that's fighting for certainly top six, possibly pushing on to Europe. I think that, you know, they've had this, the same manager in charge for a while. They've got a good squad of young players there. I mean, I know Hasty's left. I know Turnbull's out injured until January or whatever. But they've, they've got a decent squad of players there. I, th- I think they'll be. I don't think they'll be in a relegation battle. I think they'll certainly be pushing for top six. Uh, fourth might have been overly optimistic, but again, it's, it's, it's early to tell. And as you say, they were playing against ten men for seventy-five minutes of that game yesterday. So the first of Sunday's two games took place in Paisley, where Rangers visited St Mirren. Borna Barisic scored the game's only goal with an excellent free kick. By all accounts, though, it wasn't a classic Rangers performance, but they ground out the win nonetheless. Was it about St Mirren setting out to frustrate Rangers? And if so, how effective was that game plan? Well, I, th- I, th- I thought it was quite quite effective. Um, Rangers, oh, Defoe had a chance after about three minutes, which he should have scored. And a guy like him, you won't imagine he'd miss many of those. But St Mirren were largely pretty compact. They should have had a penalty before Rangers scored, actually. Um, Hellander pulled down the, the striker in the box, didn't get a penalty. I think a foul was given the other way. For me, I think it was. I don't think it was a foul the other way. I think it was pretty soft. I mean, it wasn't a scandalous decision. I'm not going full Tom Boyd here. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, then it was, a, it was a great goal, um, obviously, from Barisic to open the scoring. Um, I mean, at one point, I think St Mirren were trending fourth in the UK on Twitter, and it was exclusively just Rangers fans complaining about how St Mirren were playing, which is something that always, like... They're not there to entertain you. No. They're there to try and get a result for themselves. Like, you you want them to come out and play expansive football against your much better, faster yeah. players and get absolutely battered 5 0. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's crazy. It's just the. And this is not exclusive to Rangers fans. It's just, I think football fans in general can have some sort of meltdown when a team is playing against them in a way that they don't like. It's like, yeah, yeah the reason you don't like it is because it's being effective. Yeah, don't you understand you're supposed to leave large gaps at the back that we can exploit? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I remember being on this podcast and Johnny giving credit to Hibs for going to Ibrox and having a go. And I'm like, well, they lost 6-1. <laughs> so, I mean, well done, I guess. But, you know, like, uh, so St. Mirren lost 1-0 yesterday. Once Rangers had scored, St Mirren were never going to win the game. If if they'd got that penalty, perhaps, you know, then you've got something to hold on to. They could maybe have at least got out of it with a point. It was probably another example of Rangers struggling to break down a team which sets deep, which I think is going to be something that's going to be interesting for, for next weekend's game, which I'm sure we'll have a lot more on later in the week, that Rangers struggle most, I think, against teams that sit deep and are kind of defensive and have that kind of low block. But Celtic are not going to play like that at all. Whereas Rangers seem to be a lot better hitting teams on the break. So yeah. we might actually suit them playing Celtic, even though they're obviously a better team than uh, the ones they faced in the league so far. So do you expect, looking at that Rangers lineup from yesterday, there were a few changes made to it. Um, they've got the second leg against Legia Warsaw coming up and there's also that game against Celtic. Do you think for the, the Legia game there's going to be a few changes? Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, that's essentially the biggest game of their season up to this point. Well, poss- then possibly followed by the biggest yeah, game yeah. of their season after that again. I mean, so far. Um, yeah, I think Defoe, I'd imagine, will 
play one of the two upcoming games. I don't think he's going to play three games in a row at you know, 36, 37, whatever he is. You'd imagine Stephen Davis will come back in for Kamara on Thursday. I don't think Kamara was hugely impressive yesterday. Uh, Jones, uh, as as we kind of uh, have said before, the fear for him would in uh, being at Rangers would be that if he doesn't have that space to dribble into, if he doesn't have that room to use his pace, which we've seen him do very well against the likes of Michelin in Europe, that wasn't a game for Jordan Jones yesterday. He got subbed off Legia Warsaw, as we saw in the first leg, a pretty solid defensively. So I'd imagine he might drop out, although I believe Shea Ojo is injured. Hmm. So they may, he might play anyway. But I think, I think all three of the front three got hooked uh, yeah. during that game. So that might indicate that Gerard wasn't overly happy with their contribution. The final Premiership game of the weekend saw Celtic beat Hearts 3-1 with a disputed double from Vakinis with Bayo. Uh, many, including Craig Levine, felt that both the goals awarded to him were actually own goals. Firstly, do you think that's fair? And secondly, were you impressed by his performance? So the first point, I'm not entirely sure. I think the second one's definitely an own goal. The first one, even after watching the replays, I really can't tell. There isn't a good angle of it. They both go for the ball. It's possible they both hit it. It's then who got the last touch. It's just strange to see. Cause, well, uh, Bio, I think, was saying after the game that Berra had told him, no, it was an own goal. Levine was after going, it's an own goal. I've never seen a team before desperate to claim own goals. <laughs> like, like is, that, is that how far like Levine's heart's reign has fallen now? It's like, well, they only scored one against us technically because yeah. two of them <laughs> were own goals. I mean, it's just a bizarre sight to see. Yeah. Um, uh, Bio himself, I mean, I thought he, he was quite quite mobile, uh, moved about well. It's, it's difficult to tell in a game, in a game of that nature. But he certainly certainly looked well in. He spoke after the game about Lennon having showed a lot of faith in him since he came in. So I guess that's a a good bit of man management. But Hearts are in a bit of a state at the moment, and they were yeah. without arguably their best defender, and I think certainly their best player in Stephen Naismith. So yeah, it's a difficult one to judge. Uh, I would like to point out that on Friday, I predicted it, that game would end 4-0. Um, there were four goals in the game, but that's not why I'm bringing this up. Um, I'm bringing this up because Johnny said at the time that games between those two are always close. Would uh. you like to know the last three league results? Please tell us. So you had 3-1 mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. Then before that, it was 4-0. And mm-hmm. before that, 7-0. I suppose it depends on your interpretation of close, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does indeed. So Scott Brown gave away a penalty near the end and even prior to that, there'd been rumblings from Celtic fans about him appearing off the pace. Do you think Scott Brown's at a point in his career where that sort of Thursday-Sunday grind of Celtic games might be a bit much and he maybe needs to be rested more? I think that's definitely the case. Um, You saw his his sort of bizarre performance against Cluj in the Champions League where I think he was at fault for three of the four goals. I mean, he did a bizarre handball when he lost his man on a corner. The one yesterday, uh, it was arguably a foul on uh, Julian before the penalty was given, but then Brown just came steaming in and gave away a penalty. And it did look like a guy who has lost maybe half a yard of pace and has played um, a game on the Thursday and is just sort of struggling to get there and, and lunges in a bit. I think he's a guy who's going to have to have to be managed. I think working under Brendan Rodgers probably extended his career a bit. I mm-hmm. think he, you know, he, he moved into a more a deeper role with less running. I think um, the I think he said himself that he's, he got a lot fitter playing under Rodgers, but obviously mm-hmm. that can only last for a certain amount. You know, time yeah. catches up with us all eventually. So I think he is a guy who isn't going to be able to play every week all season. And I think last season, actually, you know, he was out injured for about two months and McGregor played in that deeper role. And that's probably when Celtic looked at their best last yeah. season. 
the thing with Brown as well is looking ahead to the Rangers game, everyone knows about the psychological impact that he can have in those games. I mean, you think back to the, the second last derby of the season where Rangers had their sort of meltdown throughout the game, Morelos getting sent off, Ryan Kent with the punch, uh, fans and manager and players getting annoyed at the end of the game and all of that seeming to stem from Scott Brown just existing. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, so everyone knows that he can have that really big psychological impact for Celtic in those games. But just looking at the way Rangers play, uh, if they're on a good day at the weekend against Celtic, do you think Scott Brown, just as a player, could be a bit of a liability for Celtic in that game? I think he could, yeah, because, I mean, as we discussed earlier, Rangers are at their best when they're on the break, and I don't think you want Scott Brown trying to catch the likes of Jordan Jones uh, on the break. As you say, I mean, I think he will play because he's the captain, because he's Scott Brown, and because through just through sheer force of... S housery he can turn a game in their favour by getting the getting the players sent off and winding everybody up. You know, yeah. just uh, that that is as long as he's acting in the best interests of association football. Well, obviously, yeah, of course. Uh, it was another poor performance though from Hearts, and with every week the pressure grows on Craig Levine. Do you think his job is seriously in danger yet? I think it's you know it's, it's what we say every time, and I'm, I'm sorry to the listeners we're repeating ourselves. He just he seems to have basically. For a guy who has the record he has, basically the safest job in Scottish football because I don't think Ann Budge will get rid of him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's the director of football, he's the manager. Ann Budge obviously obviously trusts him, and and you know she's a canny businesswoman. She knows a lot more about business than you or I do. So maybe she's completely right to trust him. But mm-hmm. I, I think the just the relationship he has with her, the sort of role he has within the club. You know, aside from the management role in, t- in terms of behind the scenes. I can't see it. I think it would have to be a lot worse. I think if if they're still in this sort of position, which is well, which is bottom of the league, if they're still in this sort of position around November, December, then I think uh, Budge would have no choice. But no, I don't. I don't see any imminent threat of him losing his job. Okay, and if you could sum up the entire weekend's Premiership action in one word, what would that word be? I have no idea. Oh, you sprung that on me. <laughs> and I just want, I, I just wanted something ridiculous, KB. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I've got nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. But listeners can tweet in with their suggestions. All right. Okay. So and, we'll, I, I nearly said staunch because of the banner at St. Mirren, <laughs> but then I thought, sh- should I say that? Will people take that the wrong way? Well, you've way? said it now, so that's Yeah, the but word. I've given the context now. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So it was a staunch weekend of premiership action. <laughs> it was a staunch weekend of premiership action. Yes. Okay. So there was a horrible moment at the weekend when I was innocently scrolling through the usual, pers- the usual football tweets and personal insults that make up my Twitter feed, only for the timeline to be polluted by a barrage of cricket-based tweets. I was worried I'd accidentally downloaded the world's most boring update, but then I saw a tweet on the situation from our very own Gaby Mackay. Gaby, break down exactly what happened and how it made you feel. Well, I don't know exactly what happened other than England were playing Australia to win a little pot of dirt um, (laughs) or or ashes or something. Um, And this was the second of a five-series, five-match series, which for some reason made it like epochal even though it there's a there's a long way to go England were uh, losing by a lot but then they won the game which apparently is a big deal but it isn't a big deal because cricket is pointless and deep down those players know that and everyone watching knows that it's a Mm -hmm. sort of you know you the thing you can't admit to yourself a sort of existential thing that it's all pointless I mean a sport where they actually stop for tea yeah midway through and they have to stop when it rains 
and they eat cucumber sandwiches and and the fans make rugby fans look <laughs> look normal. I mean, have you ever seen the bloody Barmy Army or whatever they're called? Ugh. It's a you know it's a sport for Tory posh boys in the home counties. <laughs> it's a sport that no one cares about apart from the people we brutally colonised and forced it upon them. <laughs> Does it say that on like the ashes? It does, yeah. Yeah. I mean so it's a sport that nobody in the world plays unless we were literally forced them at gunpoint to play it. And my main problem with it was Scottish people watching cricket. It's just look, if you if you're from Sussex or Middlesex or wherever, have at it. Watch all the cricket you like. I'm not having people, unless mm-hmm. I'm from Edinburgh, because that's basically England anyway. But I'm not having people from Scotland watching cricket. Watching England win at cricket, yeah. moreover. People seem to be quite excited about it as well. Yeah. Just- I mean, yeah, I saw someone on Twitter describe it as one of the greatest moments in sporting history. I mean, that Borna <sighs> Barisic free kick is up there above that for greatest. In fact, that nil-nil draw between Kilmarnock and Aberdeen is a greater moment in sporting history than that Ashes nonsense. But I think any sort of five-yard square ball in a Scottish football match is infinitely more significant than anything that's ever taken place in cricket. Exactly. I mean, and this is not just, you know, a football thing. I mean, you know, I think Roger Federer's backhand is a glorious, one of the most glorious sights in sport. I think the sort of savage ballet of the Tour de France of people cracking on the mountain at the very limit of human endurance. I think that's great. I think, you know, I I like uh, NFL football. I'm not having cricket. And nobody else should be having cricket and everyone knows it's it's an irrelevance and i suppose we're we're doing it uh we're doing ourselves a dis- disservice by even talking about it well i think we've put it to bed now and hopefully people will see the error of their ways <laughs> i think so i think i think i think i think we've convinced people yeah i think you've made a compelling argument if you like cricket you're a colonialist exactly exactly uh, that's all from us here at football scotland for today we'll be back tomorrow before 4 p.m just in time to make your daily work commute that a little bit more bearable You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website or our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at football underscore Scott. To ask a question or make a comment to us individually, you can get me on at oldfirmfacts1 and Gaby on at Gaby McKay. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.